0: Welcome to another episode of Hemp Barons. I'm Dan Humiston, and on today's show, Joy is joined by the world's leading hemp authority. They talk about her unlikely journey from the Midwest to Canada in pursuit of her calling. This is a truly rare opportunity to hear hemp insight from the foremost authority of this amazing plant. Let's join Joy's conversation with Andrea Herman from the Ridge International Cannabis Consulting. Well, welcome to Hemp Errands, Andrea. Thank you for being with us on the show today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: It's a particular treat because uh, you are my mentor. You are truly the global uh, first lady of hemp. Up there in Manitoba, Canada, a gal from Joplin, Missouri, and I really um, am feeling honored to to be able to do a show on just Andrea Herman and and your contributions to the hemp movement and and what you're doing now and. With most folks, you know, I always like to start with what got you interested in hemp. It's just that your particular story of your interest in hemp and how you pursued that passion is one of the most inspiring stories for me in life, uh, not to mention in the hemp movement. So could you explain to the listeners a bit where you were and, and when you got interested in hemp and how you were advised in high school to move forward with that passion?
1: Yeah. Fortunately, during my high school years in Joplin, Missouri, in my senior year, I had accumulated enough credits to be able to go basically a work-study half program at school. So that gave me time to get out in the real world, work at jobs, and, and start to hone in a little bit about what made sense to me. And I learned about cannabis and marijuana 13 years or so. And I saw the benefits and I also saw some of the damage that it had it could cause with uncontrolled and youth use and these kinds of things. And when I got into university that's really when it started to become a passion for myself and I started to learn about you know, hey, we have this Lexington, Missouri, this Battle of the Hemp Bales. What's all this legacy that we have in in Missouri, particularly? And then, of course, Jack came out with the Emperor Wears No Book, uh, the, the Emperor Wears No Clothes. And my mom, thankfully, she believed in me for always. And I found the book at the library. And then, of course, I took it back. And when I wanted it again, it, it wasn't there. And so I hunted it down in Springfield, Missouri. So my mom and my brother drove, we drove up to Springfield and we got the book at a little. Um, hemp store. And that was in the early sort of uh, 1995, 1996 timeframe. And during that time at Missouri Southern State, now University, Dr. Jim Jackson, my lead professor, he said, you know, Andrea, you have to declare a major because I've been floating around between Biology and some chemistry, and I thought, well, maybe political science, but none of those as a standalone academic study really called out to me. And he said, You know, you have to declare a major. And he said, I want to know what pisses you off. I want to know what you get up every single day and you just feel like, oh, I'm just like kicking the soil. I mean, like, what can you do about this? And I said, It's this hemp thing. And he said, Andrea, Go make it happen. And I took that as like, I don't know, it's like I got the chills right now. A sign just coming down on me that I needed to do something. And so I got online and, and you know, back in the early days. So we're talking in early two, early 19s. And then I said, okay, okay, I'm going to, 1990s, I, I'm going to put myself out there a little bit. And so I just made a simple email and just said, my name is, I attend school at, and I'm interested in information and contacts concerning an internship working with industrial hemp I put my professor's information, and I hit send, and I didn't even tell anybody. I just did it, and I I went home that night, and I came to school the next morning, and I was going to university part-time, and I was working, and I lived on my own, and I supported myself, and I never knew that when I got to school that next morning that my life was going to be forever changed by the Parkland Industrial Hemp Growers, Sue Schlingerman, um, in the office, that she got a feeling the night before, and when she went into the office in the morning, uh, there was my email, and it didn't even say like Andre is so great. I'm a hard worker. I love hemp. I'm going to come work on a hemp farm. It had nothing to do about that. It was just about seeking an internship. And Sue said that she knew that feeling that she got from meditating, and she said music came to her, and some light came to her, and she said when she got to work she knew that that's what it was about, and she called the Federal um, with the Parkland Industrial Hemp Growers, and so overnight, my life changed, and by the next morning, we were calling um, Sue in the Parkland office, and she said, absolutely, we could facilitate an internship for you this year, and that only happened... Not to mind what Sue sensed, but because there was a family, a host family, that was willing to take in a keen University student to allow me to come into their home, live with them in the summer, work with them, especially being a girl not from a farm. I was raised in low-income, HUD-funded apartments, so I never didn't have that knowledge going in, but they opened their doors, opened their hearts, and opened themselves to sharing What I needed to kind of get my foot in the door, and and if I would have had an internship helping somebody make their hemp soap, I would have felt like I made it anyways. But that really, that internship put me in a position to develop my own major in hemp economics, and then sort of be able to take that platform and build my academic career around industrial hemp.
0: So amazing. And they didn't just give you what you needed. They, they were giving to the planet what have needed, because the prolific manner in which you have paid that knowledge and that goodwill forward. But I, as a foundation, I just want to make sure the listeners know, because of course, these names like Parkland industrial, of course, all of that is, is so common to you, but I don't know if, if it was made clear to the listeners that that is in Canada And so Canada, of course, had begun to uh, legalize and regulate hemp in 1998. But prior to Parkland in Canada, it sounds like was already starting to do research. Is that the case?
1: Yeah, they were part of the leading growers, farmer groups that started to form. In 1998, the hemp regulations came into effect in Canada, and there were some growers that started in in Ontario and then in Saskatchewan and Manitoba. So it, it was this very sort of lined up growth pattern that occurred where there were groups of pockets of areas where producers were coming on saying, hey, look, like, we're interested in this crop. What What is this crop all about? And that's how the Parkland Industrial Hemp Growers was, was developed, birth came to fruition. And from that, we in Canada have a Canadian Seed Growers Association which puts out, in conjunction with the hemp regulations, the list of approved cultivars for um, cultivating hemp. And you have to have the cultivars that you're growing have to be on that list. So that means you need to have breeding programs. So they had a breeding program that was part of this farmer cooperative because they needed to develop varieties that were going to work in the prairies because we were using varieties that came from Ukraine mostly at that time. And there was a need to develop varieties that were going to be regionally specific. And that's fortunately what I got to work in with the Parkland Hemp Growers. Also with a Parkland Crop Diversification Foundation. And that is a provincial and partial federal government run agricultural research extension service office and and they did variety trials on and crop trials on numerous crops that were being grown in the Parkland region so I got to work directly with the Parkland hemp growers and their diversification foundation and their different students in working in the breeder plot and in the variety trials
0: so fascinating, and and we've also had, of course, Ruth Shmai on the on the show, and I know how instrumental she was in in all those early days, and then of course in in bringing forth the industries. So now we're caught up with sort of your bachelors. Let's move on to now. You are you're this inspired Joplin, Missouri girl taking all of her passion, bringing it to Canada, where she actually has an opportunity to work with the plant, unlike here in the United States at the time um and now you want to move into your masters so let's talk let's tell the listeners about how that evolved
1: still tied in with the parkland hemp growers i had been working with um Peter Dragla, which was the plant breeder at the time. He since passed away. And Peter, I was really engaged in, and I found a deep passion for what was going on in plant breeding. And I thought, this is real. This is calling my name. This is what I want to do when I grow up. This is what I want to do in the hemp industry. And Peter was such a great mentor to me. So from that, Peter said, hey, Andrea, like, what do you want to do? What do you want to move for? And I said, I'd love to become a plant pre Says, Let's make this happen. So fortunately, through the Canadian federal government, they had the um, Growing Forward program and that basically is a funding program that can help different areas in agriculture. This could be production, manufacturing. You can apply in different formats. So I applied underneath the academic program and was thankful enough to gain funding underneath that federal banner to pay for my university studies. And and prior to that, I needed to be come to Canada. So I became a provincial nominee um, through the provincial nominee program, and that program is set up so that unique skilled workers that have traits that aren't known to be um, prevalent or available within the current Canadian society, this program has helped to fast track people to be able to come into Canada to do this work. And it is a provincial program, so through the Manitoba government, they basically wrote a letter saying, hey, Andrea has these skills. We need these skills here. We need somebody who can come and help train other Canadians to do this work and help build these industries. And then that allowed me to use that letter as a platform when I applied for my um, immigration. And so in in 2004, I immigrated um, to Canada and have been here ever since. And then that set me off on the path to start some pre-master classes because when I was in my bachelor's, I didn't take genetics and I didn't take statistics. And so there were classes that I needed to take to prep myself for my master's work. So I started pre-master's classes and then in 2008, I um, earned my master's of Plant science for hemp fiber agronomy.
0: And essentially, the Manitoba government paid some 80 or 85,000 Canadian dollars for you to accomplish that and then share that knowledge throughout the country and, in fact, North America.
1: That was actually the federal government because that was a that was a federal government program, Joyce. So it was the federal government um, who actually extended that, and you, know, you have to fill out the applications and everything of that. So they awarded that to my program.
0: Just wow, so amazing. And then, and then. The Canadian Hemp Trade Alliance formed. So now we move forward into industry. Do you want to share with us then how your career at that point begins to unfold? At the same time as industry begins to take root, Canada quickly starts to make itself because they have federal crop insurance available to them right out of the gate. When when federal regulation legalization occurs in 1998, quickly start to position themselves as the world leader in bulk hemp food ingredients and, and hemp grain processing, explain to us how that unfolds and the, and the Canadian Hemp Trade Alliance. And of course, in 1994, on the U.S. side, the Hemp Industries Association had founded itself, but in 2000, it, it becomes an actual nonprofit mutual benefit corporation in California. So all this stuff is happening at once as you get your master's.
1: Right. So yes, I'm I'm in Canada and I, I became very entrenched in what was happening here and how to be able to really progress the Canadian industry and I also saw what that impact it was having on, on the global platform. So I was fortunate during my master's project to be um, part of the Canadian Hemp Trade Alliance. And then in 2007 through 2008, I became the interim executive director for the association. During that time, I was finishing up my master's program and then I was also starting my work at Hemp Oil Canada, which Hemp Oil Canada really put me out there. They I was traveling to all the trade shows. I was doing all of the events. I became for the I was sales, I was marketing, I was information specialist, industry liaison, and also an agrologist. And in 2005, I became an authorized hemp sampler, which I am still to this day. The regulations have changed, so the way that that program is administered is a little bit different, but... Regardless of that, starting in 2005, I started traveling across the Canadian prairies sampling hemp, and that gave me an opportunity to meet the farmers, meet the growers, visit the crops, see what was going on out there really in the field, which also put me in a unique position to be able to discuss what's happening in the processing facility and the marketing and the food side for my work with Hempel Canada. And I started you know, working in the packaging department um, while I was in grad school and just picking up some extra hours. And I, I really loved that, the immersion that it put me in so that my voice could be heard. And, and so thankfully, it became a voice that was very well respected. And I And I did, and I'm continuing to do my best to represent hemp in a fashion that brings people in, makes it feel very inclusive and letting people know that your hemp dreams can come true also, as you know, Joy, living the dreams.
0: Oh, so much so, so much so. And then eventually you go on to be the president of the Canadian Hemp Trade Alliance, as well as the president of the U.S. Hemp Industries Association. Did those things ever uh, sort of cross each other? Were you at, at one time, were you the president of both organizations at the same time or did they always, uh, uh, were they separate or did they overlap?
1: They, they were separate. I mean, overlapped in the case that I was sitting on the boards of both of those associations or on special committees, but mostly on the, on the board side, but those um, executor positions, um, those were not, At the same time and eventually I did have to say when things started happening in the US and you know I had to look at my schedule and say okay where do I need to be now I had done what I felt I needed to do particularly at that moment with the Canadian Hem Trade Alliance and I said okay I, I have to pick one of these that I'm going to now sort of try to step into a more leadership position, and at that time, I stepped down from the board of the Canadian Hemp Trade Alliance and stepped on as a more active role with the Hemp Industries associations. And sometimes we have to, we as professionals, we have to make those decisions. But I can say that, you know, it was an honor from the side of the Canadian Hemp Trade Alliance and even early on in, in 2009, I was the recipient of the Canadian Hemp Trade Alliance Business Builders, Champions of the Industry Award. So very early on, I had made the efforts in the Canadian industry, and thankfully the CHTA recognized that early on. And in 2010, Canadian government investment champion for the hemp industry. 2011, I was granted my citizenship here. And also in that year, I became a champion of the new rural economy in Manitoba. So it was definitely during those years I was putting as much effort as what I could to drive the Canadian hemp industry, which spilled over to the work that was happening in the U.S. and the collaboration that was happening in the EU.
0: Yes, and now we're really starting to get up there uh, in in the baby being born here of the the, the hemp revolution uh, globally. So now we're up to around 2010, 2011, Let's talk about Hemp Technologies and Oregon State University. Tell the readers about those two projects, endeavors.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, we have Hemp History Week, which that's the National Grassroots Education Campaign from the Hemp Industries Association. So during that time when Hemp History Week was kicking off, I was working with Hemp Low Canada and they get a phone call from these guys down in North Carolina saying, hey, we want to do this hemp beer. And I said, oh, who are you? And they're like, oh, Greg Faveau, Hemp Technologies. like, oh my gosh, I've been watching you guys from a distance and I love what you're doing. And Greg says, oh, that's great. We We'd love to bring it to Canada. So from that, that birthed my relationship with um, hemp technologies at that time, David Madera, which has since passed, and Greg Faval, which is now out there, you know, helping lead that master hemp creek builder and putting that information out there. So from that relationship, I became entwined in what was happening in hemp building verse and how we're now taking that to the next level. And boy, when we started back then to what it looks like now... We've definitely grown leaps and bounds on the hemp building side, working with you, Joy, over the years and doing our base training, which has just been a joy. And I know we were I was, we we're just celebrating the anniversary of doing our first workshops in Canada um, this past November. So it's, it's great to be seeing that industry growing, and now we have a, nas- a, a national hemp building association. So seeing it really develop into um, what will be a, opportunity for builders to build happy, healthy, breathing homes.
0: So much so, you know, mold, rock, fire, pest, distant, optimal indoor air quality, durable, reusable, lasts for hundreds of years, no need for indoor uh, heating or cooling systems with a 12 to 18 inch wall, depending on where you are located to a polar and equator, but I want to make sure that the, that the listeners know that that North Carolina, what was happening, why they were calling you from North Carolina, of course, hemp technologies uh, built those first permitted hempcrete homes in the United States. The first one for the mayor of Asheville, North Carolina, who still lives in the home. And you and I were blessed with the ability to tour that really gorgeous home on that, on that mountainside. Um, You know, such a, such a great thing. So, uh, and I know you're still involved. I love it hearing you. We, we've got we've got herd on the water, Joy. We've got containers of herd coming across the water, and and so excited, of course, to be able to uh, provide people American-grown hemp now uh, that our farmers can cultivate it here, and more and more infrastructure is coming up to to process that long, strong stock. So how did the Oregon State University opportunity?
1: Yeah, absolutely enjoy. You know, we wouldn't and that knowledge is also tied back to Steve Allen, of course, um, who has, you know, put out the Hemp Building book and has, has really laid that base platform for the inspiration. His book is one of those. If you look at Jack's book and then you look at Steve's book, I mean those were books that really helped shape you know, th- that first knowledge base that a lot of people dip their finger in um, to learn about different aspects of the hemp industry.
0: The, the Bible, so to speak, that really just inspire people and, and lay that foundation 110% sister. What an important pioneer he is to this day, globally. about Oregon State University and how that opportunity unfolded, because now we're really talking about not only you giving of yourself and answering calls and emails for all of those years, but now Oregon State comes along and says, let's put this information on blast.
1: Right. So I departed from Hempho Canada in 2012. And from there, I said, what am I going to do? I need to do something. So I started my consulting business, the Ridge International Cannabis Consulting in 2012. And also in 2012, our dear friend and hemp comrade, Dave Sieber with Hemp Shield, reached out to me and said, Hey, Andrea, I've been up to university, Oregon State University, and they're they're launching this e campus um program for wood science and engineering. And I said, Okay, wood science and engineering. That's interesting. I've always thought myself as I mean wood science is a plant and you know but I always thought myself more on the the, the plant side, the, the crop science side. I said, Okay, this is interesting. And he says and they are developing an e course, e campus curriculum and they would really like to include hemp as part of this course offering for online courses. I said, Oh, this is interesting. They said, Would you want to do the lecture on agronomy? I said, that would be great, that's right in my wheelhouse, love to do that. So we started going down that path, and I started asking all the questions. How do we do this? When's this due? How's this done? Tell me more. I need information. And and at, at that time, Dave was really not in the position to take the leadership role that the course needed. And so the university came to me and said, hey, Andrea, you're really engaged in what's going on with this. Would you like to become the instructor of this course? And and that that's phenomenal for an opportunity to actually become an instructor at a at a university level, teaching people in an e campus framework that you're able to reach so many more students than you would as bricks and mortar. I had students in India, I had students that were military, -military, ex-military, students in-course, students coming back, non-traditional students, traditional students, bricks-and-mortar students, stay-at-home moms, coming back to the workforce, you name it. We had so many students of different backgrounds that were able to bring their perspective in. So that course launched, and we're now getting up, we're probably around 5,000 students that have taken that course since 2012. I guess part of the, the, the things that happen with working in universities is sometimes you get the thumb put down on you. And this was a situation with Oregon State. Um, with the most respect to the Wood Science Engineering Department, it was out of their hands. But basically, because the regulations surrounding cannabis, hemp and marijuana at that time were not federally in our system. And so the, there was this fear that the Oregon state university would lose their federal funding because I was teaching about the cultivation of a controlled substance to students that were not in all in the state of Oregon that had its own regulations. And I know joy, we spilled over this many times and shed some tears and thought we might have a sit in and all kinds of different things because joy, um, Courtney Moran, lawyer and former student, both of these gals, both Joy and Courtney, took the class. They really stepped up to bat and helped me try to fight this because I thought, how can we have um, a course and a renewable materials section? talking about renewable materials and you're making me remove the agronomy lecture it it was something very close to my heart and they basically the school came forward at the end of the day and the ultimatum was one we canceled the class two you removed the lecture those were those were the only two options at the end of the day. And so I went for the high road and said, why should I prevent students from learning all of this other great information? And the course is not just about me teaching. We were able to pull together experts from all different fields of the industry to, to disseminate and share that information. So I'm not talking about hemp plastics. That's Dr. Chad Alvin from North Dakota State University. Um, Dr. George Weblin from Minnesota talks about genetics. So I wanted to bring the, the per, other professors and other areas of academia to share the actual knowledge about their areas of expertise. So from that um, the course continued and we had to remove the agronomy lecture.
0: No and and Steve Steve Allen did building and you know uh, dr. John Simonson did nanotechnology and I was very honored to be able to do the legislative and uh, and regulatory pieces. Um, and, and when they removed that that agronomy, I remember and it was even called a Canadian case study you were like it's not even we're, we're discussing how they grow hemp in Canada like this isn't even a direct uh, agronomy lesson and I remember the issue being well the policy states that we can't we can't be co-conspirators essentially teaching the students A a Canadian case study in hemp agronomy is teaching them how to cultivate a controlled substance, and we, Oregon State University, cannot be a co-conspirator in that. I mean, just really, really something. Do you know whether to this day is the agronomy section back in the course?
1: It is not back in the course, no. And thankfully now we do have a lot more information that is available to the students. The funny thing, though, um, about it was that we, one of the assignments was um, a creativity project, and that allowed the students to talk about whatever they wanted to talk about and explore hemp in ways uh, in their own creative thought or, you know, hey, I, I want to do broadcasting. I'd like to do a report about hemp, and so you can do that. Um, I want to write a song about hemp, so you can do that. I want to make a game about hemp, you could do that. So it was an opportunity for students to take and look within themselves and say, what really interests me about hemp, and I want to present on this, and they could do that in multiple fashions. So the interesting thing was is that the students, even though I couldn't do... A lesson on the cultivation. If the student themselves wanted to do a report on cultivation, then they could, and I could legally provide them the feedback that they needed to constructively give them the, the, the constructive criticism to move their project forward. So it was a very interesting spot where it's like, then I'm happy to, to correct students on uh, and not proper information because they didn't allow me to teach the students the correct information in the first place. So it became a, a kind of double edged sword, and I had to get over the hurt feelings on it and get on with the business of helping steward these students down their their life journey
0: absolutely we don't let anything to we will work around it we are patient women as long as we are moving the hemp ball forward we will do it and and now we look at you know also professor jane Noller, who is just such a global rock star and advocate of this plant from oregon state university just watching all of that unfold well in the few minutes that we have left, Miss Andrea, and I cannot wait to have you back on, Andrea and I are working on a project and many more to come uh, that we'll be very excited to unveil to everybody, but In the limited time that we have left, why don't you tell the listeners where you're at now a little bit about hemp production services and certainly how to get in touch with you for the Ridge International Cannabis Consulting.
1: Absolutely. So with TRICC, T-R-I-C-C, the Ridge International Cannabis Consulting, I started that in 2012 and it is what I is my arm to helping hemp dreams come true. And that is if you call me about you want know, to build with hemp creed, I'm gonna get you over to Hemp Technologies. If you call me and you say, Hey Andrea, I want to have a hemp-based food product, I'm going to direct this over to Hemp Production Services. And they are a bulk hemp ingredient supplier. And if it's something that falls outside of those scopes, then it comes something that is underneath my consulting business, which I like to help make those hemp dreams come true. And that could be bouncing ideas off of me, helping me prove something, thinking about where can I source these products, where can I sell these products, or just having somebody to just to kind of be the devil's advocate in a way and say hmm, well what about this and hmm, what about this so that's been a great facilitator to help drive the work that I've done in in the le- since 2012 and being honored from from all of that work inducted into the Hemp History Hall of Fame the first woman inducted in 2007 I was honored with the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Hemp Industries Association in 2018 and then in 2019 the, one of the top 10 advocates of the last 10 years from Hemp History Week. So those last sort of last three honors that I've been given has really shown me that the work that I have done has been respected and the work that I still need to do is needed and wanted. And that's really, it, it feels good, especially when I became a mom, and my life has transitioned from not being able to be on the road so much. And how do you still keep yourself in important in your own self and important in the work that you do when you're having these major life changes. And thankfully, just like hemp, it grows and transforms and becomes new in its environment. And thankfully, that's what I've been able to do as my career has transitioned um, from being that student back in Missouri to having my master's program and now sitting you know, sitting at this desk and talking with you, Joy. So it's been a very great journey and blessed to have so many colleagues like yourself and others that have helped me, guided me, called on me, and at the end of the day, respected me and respected this plant.
0: Mm. Well, Andrea Herman, words do not do justice to the gratitude for the sharing of knowledge and information, inspiration across the globe. You have assisted with drafting law and regulation all over the world, multiple countries, multiple states. You are a fountain of chopping the wood and carrying the water for the reemergence of the world's most versatile, valuable crop. And I, I will never be able to thank you enough. I cannot wait to have you back on this show, Andrea. Thank you for everything you do for hemp every day, sister.
1: You're welcome to all the other hemp barons and hempsters out there. Hemp, hemp, hooray. Much respect. Hemp, hemp, hooray. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows.